0: Welcome those of you if this is your very first time. Uh, it is a holiday week, but I've met a ton of new people already this morning who are here for the very first time. And, and uh, so my name is Greg. I'm the lead pastor here. If you don't know, uh, I've only been around, my wife and I have only been around here for just about two and a half months so far. And, and uh, so it's exciting to see how God is already doing a new thing and a new work in our church, and we get to all be a part of that. And so glad that you're joining us this morning. Uh, we are in the midst of a series that I kicked off uh, just uh, about a month ago uh, called The Jesus Way. And what we're doing in The Jesus Way is we're walking through the book of Mark, uh, the first, specifically the first eight chapters of the book of Mark this summer. And we're looking at the life of Jesus and saying, based on what we see in Jesus, what should our lives look like? How, how do we need to change? And we've said this, this was our big so what for the whole series is this, spiritual maturity looks like Jesus. If we want to be mature believers, if we want to be followers of Christ that look more and more as God desires, then we should look more and more like Jesus. That's the goal. That's the model. That's who we're supposed to be conformed into the image of. And so this summer we've been reading. If you, Hopefully you've been following along. We're in the middle of Matthew right now in our reading plan. Uh, if you haven't already jumped in there, you can grab bookmarks at the Info Center or the Connection Center. You can also go onto our website or onto our app and get that reading plan. Uh, but follow along with that as we're going one chapter a day through the Gospels, looking at Jesus' life, saying, how does my life need to change, all right? So this morning, we're, we're going to continue in that series, but I want to say something. Listen, gra- shake your neighbor for a second. Really pay attention to this one, okay? This is week one of a two-week mini-series. Okay? What I am saying today is very important to connect to what I am saying next week, all right? So I want you to commit something. If you by chance can't be here next Sunday because maybe you're out of town for the holiday or something like that, I want you to commit that you are gonna go watch part two of this message, okay? Because these two messages, what happens in the text ties two things together and you have to get them both, all right, do that, all right? So we're gonna jump into our message uh, this morning. How many know sometimes life is frustrating, right? Sometimes life is just frustrating, like things don't work out the way you want them to. People can frustrate you. Situations can frustrate you. This morning, our lights keep flickering. That's a little frustrating. <laughs> There's just stuff frustrates, right? So I, I think about, I'll, I'll let you in on my life a little bit, on some things that frustrate me. Some, some of the things that frustrate me are unexpected traffic. You know that? Like you brought, you're driving, you're like, what? Why is there a Traffic. It's like the middle of a Saturday afternoon and there's a traffic jam, right? That drives me crazy. Something else is when I have something important and I run out of cell phone battery. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like, I need, I need what's on my phone and it is dead right now, right? That happens sometimes. And sometimes you need to connect to the internet and you get this symbol right here, right? Like, no Wi-Fi. No, I need my internet, okay? And then there's people, right? We said it. There's people sometimes that can frustrate you. There's the people uh, who drive in the left lane and they shouldn't, Right? Those people, right? Like, get over, right? Get over, okay? All right, I'm I'm preaching right now, okay? All right, then there's these people. There's the people who park on the line, right? I'm getting a witness out here, right? Those people. All right, and this one is a personal gripe. So if you do this, don't get mad at me, okay? It's the people who use the Bluetooth ear thing, and here's the reason why. Because the, the use thing, you ever been talking to someone and you realize they're not even talking to you, they're having a conversation with somebody else? For the rest of us, do a favor. Just put your hand up and pretend like you're talking on a phone, okay? It just makes things easier, right? These little things in life that can frustrate, okay? Here's the deal. When we look at the Gospels and we look at Jesus' life, we're going to recognize that Jesus actually got frustrated sometimes. And really, there was one group of people in particular that just kind of frustrated him, and at times even angered him, right? And this morning, we're going to look at that group. We're going to dig in that. That's what this text is about today. And the reason we're going to look at this is, number one, it's just the text that we've got this morning, but here's the primary reason is that, unfortunately, you and I sometimes can act like they did. And the result is we can, we can frustrate the very heart of God because we sometimes miss the point, Okay. And so we're going to dig into this text. I'm going to challenge you to just open your hearts, open your ears. I think God wants to speak to every single one of us today, okay? If you got your Bibles, turn with me to Mark chapter 2 beginning in verse 18. Mark chapter 2, beginning in verse 18. I say this every week. I think it's really important that you have a Bible, because we're not just teaching my ideas. We're teaching what does God have to say, and I think it's good for you to look at it. So if you don't have a Bible, you can pull a phone out and pull out a Bible app, something like that. Just know if you ever walk in and you forgot your Bible, but you want one, we have a table right in front of the sound booth. You can grab a Bible, uh, bring it with you. Okay, if you don't own a Bible, that's our gift to you. You take one of those Bibles, you put your name on it, and and that's yours, all right? We think it's really important, all right? Would you stand with me as our tradition around here? Nothing sacred about it, but we just stand to honor God's word as we read it. Uh, Just know this, I'm going to be jumping around a little bit here this morning. We're not going to read this entire passage. Uh, Beginning, Mark chapter 2, verse 18 says this, Now, John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. Some people came and asked Jesus, how is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? I want you to jump ahead to verse 23. It says, this one Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields. And as his disciples walked along, they began to pick up uh, some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Jump down to chapter 3, verse 1. Another time, Jesus went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with a shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and Deeply distressed at their stubborn heart, said to the man, "Stretch out your hand." He stretched it out, and his hand was completely restored. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you want to speak to our hearts today. So, so God, we open ourselves up to you. We say, God, speak, move today. God, we don't, we don't want to walk out of this place just having done our, a routine of showing up to a building. God, we want to meet with you. We want to hear from you. So, would you speak to our hearts, In Jesus' name? Everybody said. Amen. You can be seated. You can be seated. All right. So, uh, last week, if you missed last Sunday, uh, Micah had a powerful, powerful message for us about the heart of God. And so, if you missed that, please go online, watch that message. You want to get a hold of that. But we looked at the passage just before what we've uh, read together. And Jesus, it says that he goes and he's hanging out with a bunch of sinners and tax collectors these outcasts the people that nobody else would have wanted to be around this is who Jesus has dinner with and the pharisees come to him and if you got your bibles you can look just a couple of verses before we read uh, chapter 2 verse 16 says this when the teachers of the law who were pharisees saw him eating and the sinners uh, with the sinners and tax collectors they asked his disciples why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners on hearing this Jesus said to them it is not the healthy who need a doctor but the sick I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. In the context of this passage that we looked at last week, Jesus is really digging at the Pharisees here. He's basically saying, I didn't come for people like you, right? I'm not coming for people like you, these people who think you're so righteous. In fact, I love the New Living Translations uh, version of this verse. It says it this way. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know... They are sinners. He's saying, listen, you Pharisees, you have forgotten that you are broken. You have forgotten that you aren't your answer, right? They thought they were the ones who could, who could solve all of their own problems, right? And they had become self-righteous. They had become puffed up. Uh, they, they knew better than everybody else did. They were the spiritually arrogant people, all right? And this is the one thing God hates. When you look through Scripture, it is this sin of pride. What was the fall of Satan? It was pride. It was thinking, I am enough. And that's what Jesus said. I can't stand this in you guys. You are so prideful. You are so arrogant, right? And look at what it says in James uh, chapter 4. This is quoting the Old Testament where it said, God opposes the proud, but he shows favor to who? The humble. Those who who are like those sinners, who are like those tax collectors, who recognize that they are lost. That's who God shows his favor on. Look, at Jesus says this at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. We know this. At the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, first thing out of the gates, blessed are the poor in spirit. What does that mean? It means those who know they are broken. Those who know their need, that's who gets the kingdom of heaven, right? And, And Jesus comes to these Pharisees and saying, you're anything but that. You think that you are the answer. You think you've got it all together. You think that your righteousness is your hope. That's not the case. You see, hear this. I I think the Pharisees get a bad rap. Like, I think that that we look at them and we're like, oh, how foolish they are. The fact is that they are deceived. They were deceived. You and I can have the same problem. I'm a church person. How many out there are church people? You church people, raise your hand if you've gone to church for more than five years. Okay, you're a church person, okay? (laughs) All right, you've been to church more than five years, you are definitely a church person. Here is what can happen to church people, is I don't think that you're going to struggle with some crazy sin very often, okay? Like, my my guess is I'm not super concerned that some of you are going to go buy some crack cocaine this afternoon and go just smoke your brains out. Like, I'm not really worried about that. My guess is there are not a lot of you that are going to pick up a prostitute on the way home today. My guess is that's not what you're going to struggle with. My guess is that more often than not, the enemy uses things in your life, even the good things in your life, to try and just pervert it a little bit, to try and turn it the wrong way. To take what is supposed to be a good thing and to go the complete wrong direction. Okay, and this is what Satan had done in the lives of the Pharisees. To understand that, I got to give you a little context here, some historical context about who are the Pharisees, who are these people. Okay, uh, we know in the Old Testament there was a group of people called the Israelites. These are the people of God. They were God's chosen people. Why? He had chosen them to initiate the redemption of mankind. Right? He, he is going to do a work through these people, and what we see throughout Scripture is that God's desire is that He would dwell amongst his people his desire is to be with people okay only there's a problem what's that problem God is holy he is perfect he is altogether other set apart from us and there's no way that that we as broken sinful people could be in relationship with this God and so what God had done to be able to be in the presence of his people the Israelites he set up a law a system of law that allowed them to, to, to cleanse themselves to a place where they could have the presence of God actually dwell among them, all right? And this is what took place. And so, so there's, there's all these laws and these systems and all this stuff that, that allowed the presence of God. But unfortunately, what happened is over and over, the Israelites would break this law. They would do things. And this covenant unfaithfulness, because they were unfaithful to the covenant God had made with them, it resulted in punishment. It it resulted in at times uh, them being exiled to other nations. It it caused other people to come in and and fight and destroy them. All this because they were unfaithful. God was trying to bring them back to this covenant faithfulness so that he could be in relationship, so that he could dwell with his people. Over and over and over again this happened. Well, eventually it got to the point where a group of people began to realize, okay, here's the problem. The problem is we just haven't done a good enough job keeping the letter of this law. We haven't been detailed enough about this. And so they began to be very, very focused on we want to abide by every last detail of this item. But the problem is when you look at the law, every situation isn't talked about in the law. There's principles there, but you, you don't have the answer for every detail of life. So what happened is the, the teachers and began to speak of different rules, and they'd make up different rules and regulations. Well, in this case, here's what you have to do. In this case, here's what you have to do. And they started to build up this oral tradition of what you should and shouldn't do, right? But in time, that oral law, that oral tradition was raised to the same level of God's law, what God had spoken and I'll say this, if you ever get your thoughts and your perspectives and your ideas at the same level of what God has to say, we, we get into some very scary territory at that point, okay? But this is what had happened. So the Pharisees, the Pharisees were this group that took this on. They said, we want to do this well. We, we, we've messed up too much. We've got to get this thing right, okay? So it was a very good motivation. It was a clean motivation from the beginning. So they had what, what they known as God's law. We've got God's law. But eventually, they drew a fence around God's law. There was what God had to say, but then there was all these other things that were added on, these rules to prevent you. And and here's kind of the the idea was like, well, I don't want to break God's law, so let's set up a bunch of rules out here so that way if I accidentally break one of those, at least I didn't break the real law, you know? It was all this fence around the law, right? And this is what the focus became. The, The fence, though, unfortunately, went from being something that was protective to keep them from breaking the law to being something that was absolutely suffocating was suffocating. There was a movie back in the 90s, and, and there was a scene where these two guys sneak onto an airplane, and they're supposed to, they're pretending like they're the, the stewardesses and, or whatever, or the steward, what do you call those people? Flight attendant, that's the word for it, thank you. Uh, they're pretending like they're the flight attendant, so they, they go on, and they, they're trying to do like the beginning of the flight routine, right, and so they put a life vest over, over the head, and then they pull, they accidentally pull the things, and the thing goes, and like, and he starts suffocating, He and grabs a pen and has to stab the life vest, because it's like choking him, okay? That's what had happened. That's the scene. This this thing that was supposed to be protective, that was supposed to take care of them, suddenly was suffocating them, okay? And this initial desire, what was the initial desire? Of maintaining relational purity with God, right? I mean, that was the goal. We want to have fellowship with our God through covenant faithfulness, because we're doing all the right things, right? That was lost, and life became about keeping the rules, It became about how can I do the right things? And instead of being this life giving thing, it became a life sucking religion. It was no longer this relationship with a God and a creator who loved them, it became this rule keeping. And unfortunately, the Pharisees got to a point where they were wearing their rule keeping as a badge of honor on their arms. Right? It was about the better I could keep the rules, well then the more spiritually superior that I am and then the more self-righteous I become because I think I'm better than those poor sinners out there. In fact, that's what the Pharisees would say. Jesus even told parables about that, talking about I'm not, I'm not like those poor sinners over there. This attitude kind of creeped out. We have to be careful because you and I can do the exact same thing. So I want to look exactly at what it was the Pharisees did and then we're going we're to see how does that apply to our lives. If you're looking in your notes, the first one is the Pharisees had a lot of do-rules, a lot of do-rules, okay? Now, the Bible talks about things we're supposed to do, absolutely, and we're going to get into that next week, all right? We're going to talk about that a little bit, but, but they went so far beyond the doer. There's what God said, and then suddenly they decided to pound Additional laws on top of it, additional rules on top of it. You got to do certain things. If you're looking with me at verse 18, it says this. Now, John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. Some people came and asked Jesus, "How is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not?" See, what they're getting at here is a situation that was arising. You see, the uh, the Pharisees had devised an, an entire system around how it is you're supposed to fast. Okay, the law only required one day of fasting a year. You know what that day was? The day of atonement. Why was the fast there? What was the purpose of a fast? It was to get yourself in a position of humility before God, a recognition that I'm sinful and that I need God to save me, right? That was the whole purpose of fasting. It was to lay yourself down, this lowering of self. But see, the Pharisees had flipped it totally the other way, and it made it all about how I could posture myself as a a really spiritual person. Look how great I am. In fact, the Pharisees, their recommendation and what they expected, people, was that you would fast every Monday and every Thursday of every week, Monday and Thursday, which makes a lot of sense. You know how the Pharisees seem crotchety and angry all the time? They're just hangry. (laughs) They're just hangry. They didn't eat much. They needed some food. If they ate more, they would be a lot happier people, okay? But they, they were in this system where they're just fasting all the time. And it wasn't because they were wanting to seek this purity with God, this connection to God. They were trying to prove how spiritual they were. This was the mark of spirituality, and this is what Jesus came up against. If you look at Matthew chapter 6, Jesus talks about fasting in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do. And this is the model. Whenever he's talking about hypocrites, most often he's talking about these Pharisees. Why? For they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly I tell you, they have received the reward in full. It goes on and it says this, But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that you will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. What's Jesus getting at? These Pharisees were all about what can be seen. How can I show myself? How can I prove by what I do, by following all these due rules, that how spiritual I am? Look how good I am. They've completely gotten off course for the purpose of it in the first place, which was to humbly lay yourself before God for the purposes of a deep relationship. Instead, it had become about how I can prove how good I am, right? Anybody ever seen somebody that does this? I'll, well, I'm going to be honest. I'm gonna, we talked about frustrating things. I'll tell you something that frustrates me. People who go onto Facebook and say, hey, everybody, I'm not going to be on Facebook for the next three weeks because I'm fasting it. You can, you can text me if you need me. I'm like, you've just missed the point. <laughs> right? Fasting is about a posture between you and God that you would lay yourself down. Not to say, hey, everybody, I'm fasting. Like, I'm so hungry. I've been fasting for like three days. Okay, that's not the point, right? We missed the point. We can do these do rules, these activities. Why? Because they're external. They become acts of righteousness meant to say, look how good I am, right? But the Pharisees didn't stop there. They had a bunch of don't rules. A bunch of don't rules. Uh, one of the uh, rules uh, that they talked about here. Let's go to verse twenty-three. Verse twenty-three. And just to say again, there's very clear in Scripture. We're going to talk about this. That there's there's things God says don't do. You see, the Pharisees have gone so far beyond what God had asked. Verse twenty-three says, "One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain." The Pharisees said to him, look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Now this whole idea of Sabbath, if you're not familiar, Sabbath uh, was, was instituted by God. The purpose of Sabbath was one day a week set apart. Why are you setting it apart? Set apart uh, to, to, number one, to rest for his people, but also to get in a position of a recognition of God's provision, that our trust is not in ourself. Our trust is in God. That's who we put our faith, our hope in. He is the one that we're looking to. It's not about how much we can do. It's what he does, right? That's the whole purpose of Sabbath, that you kind of get in this posture. And it was a gift to his people. God gave this to his people. So don't work yourself senseless. Once a week, you need a break. Just chill out and take a break, all right? The Pharisees had taken something that was supposed to be a break and they made it a burden. And they had turned it into a, a day full of rules. It had gotten completely haywire, right? Uh, the, the whole idea was that you're not supposed to work. That was part of it. But they, they said, you know what? I wanna make sure we don't work. And so they set up some rules around that. I'm gonna read to you uh, something from a commentary I, uh, I read by uh, John MacArthur and it, it it's just a portion. It talks a little bit about uh, some of these ideas and, and how ridiculous it had gotten. Here's, here's some of the rules they had uh, for the Sabbath. Anything that might be contrived as work was forbidden. Thus, on a Sabbath, scribes could not carry their pens, tailors their needles, or students their books. To do so might tempt them to work on the Sabbath. So there was a rule to protect you from the rule. For that matter, carrying anything heavier than a dried fig was forbidden. And if the object in question had been picked up in a public place, it could only be set down in a private place. If the object were tossed into the air, it could only be caught with the same hand. To catch it with the other hand would constitute work and therefore be a violation of Sabbath. Okay? No insects could be killed. No candle or flame could be lit or extinguished. Nothing could be bought or sold. No bathing was allowed since water might spill on the floor and accidentally wash it. No furniture could be moved inside of a house since it might create ruts in the dirt floor and thereby constitute plowing. Okay? A radish could not be left in salt because it would become a pickle, and pickling constituted work. Sick people were only allowed enough treatment to keep them alive. Any medical treatment that improved their condition was considered work and therefore prohibited. It was not even permissible for women to look in a mirror since they might be tempted to pull out any gray hairs they spotted. <laughs> okay, so it's, when you read it, it's rather humorous. It's like, oh my gosh, that's kind of ridiculous, right? It, it feels a little crazy, all the, the do's and the don'ts. And it's this, this crushing weight that this religious system had put onto people. You know, when Jesus came and he began to talk uh, to people, why, why were the, the droves of people coming after him? Part of it was this message that he spoke. Look what Jesus says in Matthew uh, chapter uh, 11, verse 28. It says, this, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, I will give you rest Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. You will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. This message was to a people who were so entrenched in a religious system. They were so caught up in do's and don'ts that there was no life anymore. They didn't realize that this thing was supposed to be good. This faith thing was supposed to be something that was fulfilling. But the sad fact for you and me, if we are totally honest, is that there are times where we reduce faith in God into simply a bunch of do's and don'ts. We miss the heartbeat that God had for us from the very beginning. There's no thought of a relationship with this God. There's only thoughts about what I should be doing, what I shouldn't be doing, how I shouldn't be doing these things. No thought about, am I connecting to this God who is in heaven, who has desired, who has pursued relationship with me? There's no thought of that at all. But even worse than that, and this is the part that the Pharisees really were harsh on, and it's that they had gone so far beyond what God had even asked, and they had made sacred what wasn't even sacred in the first place. They had made rules around things that were never meant to be rules. And you and I can do those same things. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago back when we were in the midst of the Don't Go to Church series. And I talked about sometimes we can make the how, the what. How we do things, we make that sacred. And suddenly that becomes a rule, a box that we have to live in. I talked about for music. I use music as an example because all of us, music is very personal. And we can say, well, worship music has to be this way because that's the only one that God sang. Well, that's, (laughs) I'm pretty sure God didn't sing that song, you know, like we 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 can worship different ways, right? Let's not make a rule around something that isn't meant to be a rule. I can say this one freely because this isn't how our church is, but I know in the past there have been seasons where in church life what you wear was one of those rules. You better not walk in this building unless you got a suit and tie on. Now that's great, sometimes I like to look good and I put a suit and tie on, all right? But listen, I, I would hear people say that's disrespectful not to wear a suit and tie to church then you'd have to say, well, Jesus was disrespecting the father then because I'm pretty sure he never wore a suit and tie, (laughs) right? (laughs) Like, okay, that's just a rule. We make a rule around something, okay? And and, and that's just a very crass example of this, but we can do that in small ways where we say, you know, this isn't really a Bible thing. This isn't what God has said, but we say this is how it needs to be. And unfortunately, as church, we sometimes place those rules on people and say you're not even allowed to be with us until you can follow our rules, Okay, so I'm just going to tell you how I function. I'm not going to tell you how you need to function. I'm going to tell you how I function. How I function is if someone is not a follower of Jesus, then I have no care about what comes out of their mouth. Okay, here's the reason. I expect sinners to sin. That's what I expect. All right, so if, they, if I want to be in relationship with someone, I'm not going to require them to change who they are for my sake. Because I can't be around this person who's, who's saying naughty words, okay? Okay, I'm just, I'm just going to be honest. So when I golf, I golf, I love golfing, okay? When I go out on a golf course, if I get to walk on a course and I get put with some other guys, you know what's the last thing I want to talk about? What I do for a living, okay? The moment I say I'm a pastor, suddenly the guys shut down and they stop talking to me. There's no longer a relationship happening. Why? Because they think they got to clean their mouth. They start faking everything because they feel this need because the world and religious people in history have made them feel like that's the only way, that I'm not a real person anymore. I'm this like shell of a human being and they have to do the right things because I've got a secret line to God and I'm going to tell on them if they say naughty words. Like, okay, I'm sorry. That's not how I want to function. You know what I want to do? I want to meet people where they're at just like God does. And so when I'm around people, I don't make them, I say, hey, This isn't, faith in Christ is not about do's and don't. It's not about clean your mouth up and then maybe you've got to like you. No, it's come to God. And the Holy Spirit will do his job, which is that of convicting sin. I'll let the Holy Spirit take care of that one, right? Okay, now, now again, I'm saying that's how I operate, okay? That's how I function because I want to have the same heart Jesus did. Jesus went, my guess is when he went and hung out with the tax collectors and the sinners that he wasn't, hey, 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 hey. No talking like that, guys. Like, I'm, I'm guessing he just met him. He hung out with him, And guess what? When, they, when you come to Jesus, things start to change. Your life will change. It has to change. Because if you're making Jesus your Lord, some stuff's going to change, boys. Okay? All right. So it's do. We turn it. We turn this thing into do's and don'ts. All right? And so I want to get to our big so what here. Okay? This is a big so what. Always ask this question. What's the point of this thing? Here it is. Focusing on keeping the rules misses the point. Focusing on keeping the rules misses the point. Are there rules to keep? Absolutely. We will talk about some of that next week. We'll talk about what does it mean to make Jesus your Lord. But if your purpose and your focus is simply keeping the rules, you've missed the point. That was never the intention. See, the Pharisees had turned this relationship with God into a religious system. They had turned it into a bunch of do's and don'ts. The means, remember, the means, this law, this rules, the means had become the end for them. That was not the end. The end was relationship, communion with God in heaven. The point is that God wants to be with his people. This is the point. From the beginning to the end of Scripture, you start in Genesis. What does God do? He makes people. What does he do? He walks with them. In the garden, He wants to be with his people. Unfortunately, something gets in the way. Sin. We get to the end of the book. We get to Revelation chapter 21. Revelation, there's this picture of heaven. What is heaven like? It says, finally, God is dwelling amongst, with his people. That's the goal. That's the picture. That's what he wants. You go into the Old Testament, why? This whole covenant system. What was the purpose? So that God could dwell with his people. We get Jesus. He was called Emmanuel, which means God is with us. God wants to be with his people. Why did Jesus go to a cross? He didn't just go to a cross to save you from something. He came to save you to someone. He came to save you from your sin so that you can be in relationship with God, your father. That's what the gospel is. The gospel is not about just simply getting away from hell. It is getting in relationship with the creator of your soul. It is Building union with a God who loves you more than you can understand. This world tries to feed you things, say, hey, it's all about this, it's all about, no, 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 no. There is nothing better than relationship with your creator. That is what you were made for, that is why you were made, to be in relationship with your creator. And God has fought hard so that you could have that opportunity because he knew amongst yourselves, you can't figure it out. Which is why he sent his son into this world. To take the penalty of our sin. To clean us to the point where we could step into relationship once again with us. Is there expectation? Absolutely. Is God demand things? Absolutely. We've got to die to ourselves. But the purpose is not the death. The purpose is the relationship. That's what he wants for us. I want to look at Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3, verse 1. This is this last story. Because when when we miss the point of this thing, this relationship with our Father, then what we get is dead, cold religion. And we get spiritual arrogance that cares almost like it wants to just take the fun out of everybody else's life. So look at what happens here. Another time, Jesus went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. Like they came with an ax to grind, right? They're looking for, I want to accuse this guy of something, right? So they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. How ridiculous is that? They're sitting looking to nitpick somebody. And sometimes with we need to be careful. If our hearts or our minds get to the point where we're nitpicking other people's spiritual walks, we need to get careful with that a little bit, okay? Because... Uh, There are times when we need to speak into a brother or sister's life, absolutely. But if you're getting a critical spirit about that, as we talked about last week, if you're developing a critical spirit, you need to be careful, okay? Because you're getting into a place that you're not supposed to be, all right? So we say here that Jesus said to the man, stand up in front of everyone. What Jesus is basically saying, I know what these guys are thinking, it's the Sabbath. I'm not supposed to work, so I probably shouldn't heal this guy. Remember what the rules said. The rules said, only do enough to keep him alive. You can't do anything meaningful, otherwise you're working. He's saying, these guys have missed the point of this Sabbath altogether. He says, which is lawful on the Sabbath? Do you do good or evil? Save or kill? And these Pharisees, their hearts are so hard. They've so turned away and said, I'm only concerned about the rule. He's, breaking, he's meddling with our system. He's meddling with how we do things. Jesus is just ticked off. He looked around at them in anger, deeply distressed about their stubborn hearts. He said to the man, stretch out your hands. See what's going on. These guys, they were so concerned about the rule that they really didn't care about the person. And, and what's sad is that the Pharisees' focus on the rules had actually trampled on the very character of God. God's character is to meet those who are oppressed, those who are broken, right? When you read through the Old Testament, if they really understood the law, if they really understood the heart of God, God's heart was always for the marginalized. That's his heart. There are all these laws set up to help the widow, to help the orphan, to help the alien who, who comes into your society. There were all of this. Why? Because God's heart is for the marginalized, that's who he cares about. He wants to take care of. He, he was so critical against people who hurt the marginalized. That, that was something that he was against. And these, if these Pharisees understood what this thing was about, they would have been saying, heal him. Jesus, heal this guy. But they weren't. They cared more about the rules. They had missed the point. So Jesus said, I'm healing him anyway. Jesus quoted this about himself in Luke chapter uh, 4. He says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. The poor is, is like Matthew chapter five. It's the ones who know they need him, right? Jesus is saying, listen, I, I, he sent me to proclaim freedom for prisoners, for recovery of sight to the blind, to set oppressed people free. That's what he's called me to do. That's my heart. And, and when we turn this whole gospel thing into just simply a system of do's and don'ts. We turn this thing into a dead religion. We just miss the point, right? Are these things important? Absolutely. Does God have law? Absolutely. Does God require things of us? Absolutely. But those things are a means to a greater end. They are not the purpose. The the good news of the gospel is not, hey, here's a religious system. Go follow it. The good news of the gospel is there is a creator God who made you and formed you perfectly. And he desires to be intimately related to you. And he knew you couldn't do it for yourself, so he made the way for you. That's what the gospel says. Okay, you get to be, yes, are there things to do? Yes, we will talk about those. But if you miss the point, then it just becomes dead, cold religion. And that's not good news. We oftentimes make the good news really bad news for people. Why do we think people don't have an interest? Because they look at us and they say, that doesn't look appealing to me. They're just as cranky as I am. Their life doesn't seem any better than mine does. But Listen, if we are in relationship with the the king of the universe, we should look different. We should be filled up with the zoe life of God that comes from him because he is pouring into us. He didn't pour it into us 10 years ago. He is pouring it into us day after day, moment by moment, When you have time with him, it isn't like, I hope I show up to Sunday so I can get my hour in with God. No, God, how can I walk with you? How can I live my life with you? How can I have times with you throughout my week, throughout my day? How can this become a relationship, not a dead religion? Man, that just sucks the life out of things. He didn't come to to be life-sucking. He came to be (laughs) life-giving. That's the point of this thing, all right? All right. So I want to I want to give us just some time this morning to just settle into this a bit, okay? I want to I want to give us some space. So I I made sure we kind of made some changes to our service this morning because I want to build some response time into our service this morning, okay? Because there's some of you here this morning it's possible that you need to have a little bit of a repentance moment. I know for me there's still this is still one that I, I, I waver back and forth because there's still me growing up in the church setting I grew up, there's just this pull toward legalism. There's this pull toward the religious side of things. And, it, and it's a battle to consistently die to that. Say, God, I, I just, I want intimacy with you. I wanna pursue you. But There's some of you that may be in the same place, man. It's just been religion for you. And maybe you see in your heart that you've, you've pulled away from the, the, the relationship a bit. And, and I'm going to give you space. I'm going, to, I'm going to open these altars in a moment. You may need to come down here. You may need to spend some time. You may need to be where you're at. You may want, want to pray with someone. I don't know what you need to do, but this morning my prayer is, is that we would have a moment of relationship again, remembering who God is, this God who loves us, loves us so far beyond what we deserve. But there's some of you here this morning, it's possible that you've only ever experienced religion and you've never understood that you could have relationship With God, You thought that the the hope for your life was that you could get yourself cleaned up enough and then maybe God would let you into heaven. See, that's not good news. Because when we're all, we all know that none of us are good enough. None of us are good enough. I, I can't clean myself up enough to be good enough for a perfect holy God. Which that's why it's the gospel. Because God sent his son into the world to do what we couldn't do for ourselves, right? And when he... When we receive the gift of salvation by placing our faith, our trust, and surrendering our life to Jesus, you know what he does? He puts his righteousness, his perfection, he wraps it around us like a coat. And when God looks at us, he's no longer looking at our brokenness. He is looking through the righteousness of Christ.